dedicated to each and every one of you who appreciate a great glass of wine. You know what I mean? It's Monday. Let's raise a glass to the beginning of another week. It's time to unscrew, uncork, or savor a bottle. And let's begin exploring the wine glass. Today, I sit down with Jordan Fiorentini, winemaker for Epic Wine Estates in Paso Robles. Growing up in Georgia doesn't typically lend itself to becoming a rock star winemaker in California, but Jordan isn't typical. After falling in love with the wine thanks to her father's wine collecting hobby, Jordan followed up her engineering degree with a master's degree in enology and viticulture from UC Davis. She traveled to Italy for a harvest, fell in love, and returned to Georgia for a bit to help her father with his vineyard before packing it up for California. Jordan was named Winemaker of the Year and has had a wine land number 25 on Wine Spectator's Top 100 list. Enjoy the conversation. And while you're listening, please take a moment to rate and review Exploring the Wine Glass. Ratings are now available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Audible. Taking one minute of your time is the only way the algorithms will suggest exploring the wine glass to others. Slancha, everybody, just a little break before we get into the conversation. If you are interested in attending Paso Wine Fest on May 21st, and I highly suggest it if you are in the area, please go to PasoWine.com and use code ETWG underscore 22. That's ETWG for Exploring the Wine Glass, underscore 22, and you'll get $20 off of your ticket. Hey everybody, I'm Lori Budd, a UC Davis winemaking program, someday service, champagne specialist, and WSET Level 2 graduate. You can find Exploring the Wine Glass on all the socials, as well as your favorite podcast catchers. If you haven't subscribed yet, now's the perfect time to swipe, subscribe, rate, and review. I promise I'll never tell you what to drink, but I'll always share what's in my glass. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Allure of the Poor, sponsored by Dracaena Wines. I am your host, Lori, UC Davis graduate, WSET Level 2, uh, Champagne Specialist, uh, Coteron, and now keeping my fingers crossed because I am a student once again with the Wine Scholar Guild of the Spanish Wine Scholar, and it is scaring the living daylights out of me because it's so much information, but keeping my fingers crossed. But today I am back in Paso, and I am so excited to be talking to Jordan Ferrantini from Epic Wine Estate. So hello, hello, hello. Hi, thanks for having me, Lori. Absolutely. I am so thrilled to have you here. Uh, We did a little talking previously and, you know, my husband and I, we drink your wine all the time. So um, it's nice to, uh, you know, be face to face and talk to you. And I have a little surprise for you. Oh. Um, Oh, yes. So look what I have here. Oh, my goodness. It's the creativity that I sign. I can't see what year it is. 2011. Oh my gosh. That was the first year. <laughs> I, I know. I was like, when, when we talked the last time, I'm like, you know, we have a signed bottle. I was like, what is it? I don't know. And I, I came home. Oh my right? gosh. That, I haven't had that wine in years. That was the first year we bottled that creativity, which changes every year when there's something special that we don't want to blend away. We bottle it. And I used to sign every bottle. 
that said enjoy Grenache or something. Yes, it says enjoy some Grenache. Yes, and that we do. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, so so you are on our wall of fame. You know how some people, you know, restaurants have the pictures of people like we have the wine bottle. Oh my gosh, that is a special one. I know I have, I probably have like hand arthritis from <laughs> I couldn't do it anymore but I did it way back when uh, you know you think about it you're like oh if that's your first year you're like okay I'll do everyone this will be yeah. this will be my little you know <laughs> shtick thing I will do this all the time yeah. and then you're like oh no oh, this is not either. going to <laughs> from like a saying and I would try to do a different saying on everyone and then someone <laughs> you know kind of weird like <laughs> Take me home tonight. Oh. I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> erase, erase, erase. No, no, no. Oh, that is awesome. That is awesome. But today, uh, and you know, one of the things I love about people say, what, what do you love most about podcasting? And I know the answer should be, oh, I get to meet fantastic winemakers and, you know, talk about their stuff. But it gives us an opportunity to day drink. <laughs> Yes. So I know the light makes this very difficult to see, but this is your 2017 estate blend. So I am very excited to be day drinking this. So I'm going to pour this in my glass and I'm going to ask you the question that I ask everybody first. And that is how, what is your origin story? How did you get into wine? Oh, that's a great story. So I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, so not a wine growing region, uh, but my dad loved to collect wine and he loved wine, but he really liked to collect it and got really lucky because he was an attorney in Atlanta at the time. And he started collecting 1982 Bordeaux and um, wines from Europe at that time. That was such a fabulous vintage. So uh, and I think they were like 20 to $30 a piece. Um, so we got introduced to really great wine while we were young at my family in, in my household. And then I went to school in New England, um, studied um, engineering at a liberal arts school, also took a lot of art classes and Italian classes. And I really wanted a, a profession that combined the two. So science and art. I love to cook. I was very creative. I, I I think I still am pretty creative, so I really would follow that path, but just love to base um, a lot of what I did in science as well. And so when I was graduating, I, um, I told my dad, I was like, I just want to go work a harvest in Napa and then I'll figure out what I want to do because I knew it existed as a profession. Most people didn't back, you know, back where I was from, but I did. So I packed my stuff up, headed to California, got an internship in Napa. This is 1999. Um, Not to date myself, but uh, (laughs) you're still uh, a lot younger than I am. So go ahead. (laughs) uh, In St. Helena at Markham Vineyards, uh, which was kind of, it was like the heyday of Merlot at that moment. And um, so I got a job there, totally hit it off with the associate winemaker and the winemaker who I'm both friends with still today. I have a funny story about that. But the associate winemaker at Markham back then was a woman named Kimberly Nichols, and she's now the winemaker and she's been the winemaker for years. So we've been friends forever and then worked. um, uh, Then I decided to go to UC Davis for my master's degree. So I have a master's in viticulture and enology from Davis. Started there in 2000. Um, So I didn't work the 2000 harvest, except for at Davis, because 
in the vineyard there a little bit. It's a run vineyard, so interesting. Uh, some most of it, some of it's really great, and some of it's experimental. Um, and then the 2001 harvest were to Napa again. And then in 2002, um, I had studied Italian as an undergrad and was looking for ways to go back to Italy. So I worked um, a harvest in uh, Tuscany and then kind of um, actually met my husband when I was there, an Italian. Um, so we moved back to the States and my father in, um, in the North Georgia mountains started to plant a vineyard. Um, and we actually went back to Georgia for a little while to help him um, open a winery and tasting room. So we did that for several years and then we both wanted to move back to California. So we came back and I got a job at Chalk Hill in Sonoma County um, and was there for a few years and eventually made my way down to Paso Robles after meeting the owners of the Epic, Bill and Liz Armstrong, who are amazing, charismatic people. Um, before we had a winery, uh, we just were making our wine at Denner Vineyards and we had um, our Pederewski vineyard and been planting our catapult vineyards so two of our properties back in uh, 2010. So, but the funny thing is the winemaker who worked with me at, uh, who I worked for at, at Markham, my first year is actually, he's now the winemaker at Chalk Hill. <laughs> so we kind of, <laughs> I know it's Chalk Hill's a very different place now. I got picked by Foley. So it's a bigger winery. <laughs> it was just, it's just fun to see. All the connections it's, and everything come sort of like full circle. So it's like the wine world is like a spider web, right? It just, it branches out and there's all of these connections and it's mm -hmm. like, you know, the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. It's like the yeah. six degrees of winemaking. You it's know? Like, like, we're all like, we're all like separated by maybe two, but probably. Right. 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 Yeah, I remember not, not the little tangent thing. I remember Chalk Hill. The first time we tasted Chalk Hill, we were like, oh, my God, this is phenomenal. And I think we paid like $12 for it. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then, you know, maybe 15 And that at that point, that was a splurge for us, you know. Right. Um, right. You know, and, and then it got it got the ratings that it got and everything. And then, like, the price has kind of gone got right. a little a little <laughs> up there, there. but, but yeah. very special property um it's in healdsburg um in sonoma county but almost in russian river so it's kind of it's different than a lot it, of um, it like uh one leg in each right exactly kind of it straddles like, both it's got it's a big piece of property so it's got like warmer climate stuff for the for the bordeaux program and then um an amazing sauvignon blanc uh property um in the cooler slopes and also chardonnay so Okay. So when you went back home, you know, was your dad like, yeah, my daughter just, you know, graduated UC Davis has done this internship or whatever. This is my turn now. I'm going to, I'm going to get this vineyard going and I'm, I'm going to get some cheap labor out of my daughter to, to get it going. Yeah. I mean, it was very much like a, he is his dream, you know, and it was us helping him out, like um, trying to just, you know, uh, it's kind of like the it's not the wild west because you're on the east, but there's not very many wineries, especially at yeah. that time. So sort of figuring all that stuff out and um, as much work as you wanted to throw to it, you know, you could. So right. that's kind of any family business or any business for that matter when you have, are passionate about it. So, And I'm guessing that that was probably like a really amazing experience for you because like UC Davis, it, I mean, it's phenomenal, right? But it's a very kind of bubbly in a right. good way to say, you know what I was trying to say, right? You learn what you need to learn and you go on. And one of the right. things is, you know, I, you, you, every vintage in 
when it comes to winemaking, every vintage is a whole different ball game. It's like starting a new game with the new rules and all of this stuff. But if you went from start to finish, basically with your dad's vineyard, I'm sure you saw so many different things and so many, you know, balls being thrown at you that it was such a learning experience. Totally. For sure. Like from my husband was helping on the tasting room side and then the wine winery and the grapes are very different than they are out here. Um, so it is sort of like, it's, it, yeah, it was a lot, it was cool to, to, you know, figure that out from the business side too. Um, I can tell you that wine is, I don't want to say it's easier to make, it's just like you have a lot of easier growing conditions on the West Coast. Than I would East. think so. <laughs> oh, so there's a lot less concerns. You know, now, you know, back then we weren't really worried about wildfire. Um, there weren't as many drought situations. So now I guess you could say it's sort of like apples to apples. Away. <laughs> just they're different concerns, but there's more concerns out here than there were before. Right. So if we return back to Paso, so now you found your way down to Paso with, um, with the Armstrongs and Epic. And I love the name. I remember the very first time that we visited um, and it was Epic. And I, I should be embarrassed to announce this on podcast, but my husband and I got into a fight. Um, <laughs> because of the name and I, you know, um, and I don't know. Oh, he was saying EPA. Right. Right. And I'm like, no, no, I, it's epic. Like, you know, this, this point in time, like it's epic. He's like, no, that's EPIC. I'm like, no, it's not like we're getting into this exactly. argument or whatever. Right. Yeah. I mean, people call it epoch. I think like it's easiest if you think about because the Europeans, um, epoch, you know, it right. kind of helps you feel like it's bigger because when you say epic, the EPIC kind of like comes to mind. But yeah, it's epic and it's one. Uh, point in geologic time. So, you know, the, the rock formations that basically were made you know, hundreds of thousands of years ago that are what we are producing grapevines in right now, or wines, I should say, that we are making wines in this epic from, you know, a different epic. So this is, and it's our epic, right, to be making wine from the soil. So yeah, it, and the cool thing is Bill and Liz are both geologists. Right. Um, so it, spoke to them as well. And as Liz always likes to point out, it's a name that was available because as everyone knows, it's hard to find a wine name that isn't already taken. <laughs> that is very yeah. true. That is very, <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Having more, I feel like it grew the gravitas with us and the brand and the sophistication of like the wine and the architecture and the gorgeousness of the vineyards and sort of just like grew up as Paso Robles has grown up, you know? And that that's like actually really true. Like when, what was Epic's first vintage? 2007. 2007. So mm -hmm. Paso of 2007 is very, very different than Paso of 2022. So, right. um, and your, your first. Were Ten, you 2010 Ten. was the first year I was here. So I basically inherited, I bottled all the wines except for the 07s. Okay. And. First, Vintage, yeah. And so what are some things that you've seen change in Paso um, from your first, I mean, and it's, a, you know, we try to stick to an hour podcast. I'm sure you could go on for hours and hours, but like, what are some things that have changed from 2010 to, to now? So it's funny when I uh, first 
looked to move here, of course, you know, I was coming from a pretty well-renowned winery in Sonoma County. Um, and so I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't like, you know, this place I'm moving to has legs, like it's going to grow and it's going to be something, right? When I put my my winemaking, you know, what I've learned and take it here and try to create something fantastic. And, you know, cause I knew a little bit about it. Like I'd been mentioned in a wine spectator article with some local winemakers and I was very intrigued at that moment, but I just didn't know what, you know, my peers thought about it. So I just asked around to a bunch of different people and I got like a whole host of <laughs> different responses <laughs> from like, yeah, you can make amazing wine down there. Um, to like, you know, have you heard of like these types of wine where people like try to do the opposite of what you're taught is right for wine. <laughs> and so I just had to come down and see for myself. And when I came here, um, I met the most amazing people. I felt like, I mean, I love Napa and Sonoma and I've so, you know, I think even through Paso, I've met even more, more winemakers up there that I knew than I knew than when I was there. But um, everybody here is friendly and, you know, everything you hear is true about Paso is just like, you know, the rising tide floats all ships. Yeah. But there's just so many more people here now, which is so great to see. But the the main group has grown, but it's still really tight and it's still really supportive. Um, But yeah, I mean... I think the region itself has just grown in notoriety so much too, which is, it's really fun to see everybody doing well, you know, yeah, selling all their wine and then Paso being in like all these magazines as the wine region of the year. And, you know, the next hot, they're the hottest place to go where it's like, we all knew it. And it was so obvious, right. <laughs> this place was so amazing that you're kind of like, well, I knew it. I just was also like working every day to try to like make it to make right. the world reflect how awesome this place is. So. And where are Bill and Liz Armstrong originally from? So Bill's from Texas and Liz is from Louisiana and they met in college in Texas at SMU and they live between Denver, Texas, and basically here um, now. So how did they settle in? How did Epic come about? How did they find? So they found this region where, so when Bill started to, he's a geologist and and, um, oil and gas and just um, self-made person, you know, he's never worked for a big corporation or anything. But when he started to find some success in um, his business, he, you know, as many people do, you're stuck at a dinner, some steakhouse and you're like, these dinners are all the same. And like, let me look at the wine list. Oh, that's kind of intriguing. Like, then you start ordering, you start trying, you start like investigating what all this is about. I obviously really loved wine, started to really get into it. Took He actually has to let his two, level two of the Psalm certification that oh, he's been, had a great teacher and then just started to fall in love with the wines of Chateauneuf. And then him and Liz were looking for property to have a winery uh, or a vineyard. I think they want to start there. Um, and they were looking all over California and the East coast and New Zealand, I think, but then they really fell in love with Paso because um, sort of like the last, you know, sort of like cowboy town in California, the rocks here are amazing. There is the, you know, sister winemaking region of Chateauneuf to pop. Um, and so that's where they set their sights on, um, Paso and then Liz loves history and they 
uh, discovered the Paderewski property. It wasn't for sale, uh, but they discovered it and were able to purchase it. And then this whole um, amazing history started to unravel about who used to own the property and that there were grapes grown there. And, you know, so we've just been able to honor the history of Paderewski. Um, and then we found the York Mountain property to be our tasting room and winery location. And then there's so much rich history here as well. So putting the history of Paso in wine back together, um, along with the project itself, it's just been really fascinating and what, quite a ride. Yeah. So for those who don't know, can you explain who Paderewski is? Yeah. Um, I'm guessing yeah. there's people who may not know, because I think I, have I, first, I was going to say, thank you for admitting that. Thank <laughs> you, because... I remember the the very first time I spoke to somebody um, about Paso, they brought, you know, they mentioned, well, of course, you know, Paderewski. I'm like, yes. uh, um, no, you know, I'm like, uh, you know, I was mortified that I didn't know who this person was. Um, yeah. But so I don't, th there's so much history with him into Paso. So we would like to give his history yeah. some tribute <laughs> thank you for that i know because always when i have people come visit the winery you know and they're going to tour around or go to the tasting room and it's just like do you know anything about like okay so i have to tell you all about this so then we can do the wines and so uh but it's just really great to have uh, a, a story behind the label too um so ignacy paderewski was a famous polish composer pianist and he came to the united states in the late 1800s early 1900s and traveled around on rail car on train and performed. He was actually the first um, solo concert performer in Carnegie Hall. And he was really famous back then. He was actually the character that Schroeder from the Peanuts is based on. Um, I have a picture of him too. It's like, he's like poking through right there. Oh yes, I do see him. Yes. Yes. <laughs> on my desk. And he, um, so he traveled around and uh, people didn't have TV. Maybe they have radio. I'm not sure what this, yeah, there was radio, but I'm not sure how much of his music was played on radio, but anyway, people would go and hear him um, perform as entertainment, right? So uh, he was on the West Coast. He was actually, I think in Seattle, but he was suffering from really bad rheumatoid arthritis in his hands. And somebody recommended that he come to Paso Robles and soak in the mineral hot springs that used to run rampant in the area. There are still some. And he did. Um, he stayed with Paso Robles Inn and he fell in love with the area. And this was early 1900s. Um, his doctor, I guess, who told him to come here is also his real estate agent. So <laughs> that That's an odd. I know. It's a, and so he, um, fell, but he fell in love with the property and he is a very forward thinking man and he wanted to uh, plant orchards and grapevines. And so he did that. Um, and so the main heart of the property that he used to own, which is about two and a half miles west of downtown Paso, is our Peter, we named it after him, but is our vineyard. We call it the Pederevsky Vineyard. And we planted Zinfandel and Durif, which is Petit Syrah, in honor of him, because those are varieties that he had planted. He had researched with the professors. It was UC Berkeley, it was Cal at that point that did had all the school, but then the ag switched to Davis uh, much later. And so we have uh, communication between him and the professors um, about what would grow correctly here. And so he, he planted those varieties and eventually he actually had the York brothers on York Mountain at York Mountain Winery make his uh, grape into wine. 
So um, in 2010, we were actually able to purchase, that's where I'm sitting now on the historic York Mountain property. Um, not this building is new, but the property is historic. Um, we purchased it from the bank and were able to put our tasting room in the historic old winery and redo that. And that is the winery where Paderewski brought his grapes. So and that's that is so funny. Like the hot springs really were like you said rampant. They were. There were so many. Sure. We have there's two left, right? There's two, two active. Yeah, yeah, but we do actually have a um we joke and I actually it might be true. I don't know. We have a hot spring on the Petarevsky vineyard. Um it's a silver oh. spring, and we joke that it's not hot but it's warm and that he used to soak in that too, but we don't know. We wanted to put a clawfoot bathtub out there. <laughs> so we're not sure if there was more on the property too back then that he enjoyed. Um, but yeah, there, are, I think after a few earthquakes, you know, they Things changed. changed. <laughs> Things changed. Right. And then you brought up the, the York mountain and the, the York brothers. That's another whole other amazing Paso history with with the York brothers. So, like, can you explain them a bit too? Yeah. So the York family came out here, um, sort of like a, they were homesteaders, and they uh, purchased the property from the original owner, and they um, decided to uh, build a winery and plant grapevines, and so they did that out here. Um, there's also orchards. There are probably apple trees. There were a bunch of, um, or, you know, orchards and farms around the area. And they were one of the first, if not the first bonded wineries in the County. And so, so many people from the past know about York mountain winery because they would come here to get their jug wine filled up. Um, they would help out with the harvest. You know, there's a bunch of, uh, of the early winemaking families that were all connected in Paso Robles and the Yorks are definitely one of them. And so we pay, um, honor to them by, uh, we've resurrected the, the historic property here. We've replanted the, the vineyard that was, um, decimated by deer because they didn't deer fence back then and sort of brought the, the gorgeous building that was their winery uh, made out of uh, bricks that were hand fired on the property. Um, preserve that to be our tasting room now. And during our earthquake, um, what, what got damaged? Something was like condemned, right? During. The yeah. Earthquake. So the original winery, there was a big earthquake in 2003. It was the San Simeon earthquake. It ran from Hearst castle through Paso Robles and on down. And um, it was actually pretty significant. It was December 23rd, 2003. And it was, it was a 6.49. Something, like something. Yeah. It was big. It and was up there. <laughs> it was up there. And since we were so close to uh, San Simeon because we were on 46 West um, on the way to Cambria. Uh, the main building sustained a lot of damage um, and was condemned after that earthquake. And so that's where we were able to purchase it from the bank. Nothing had been done to the property uh, or to the building itself since that earthquake. And so we had a lot of retrofitting and um, earthquake proofing to do. Uh, while keeping the um, integrity of the original architecture. Right. So before before we go on to the amazing amount of history, because there's there's so much going on uh, with Epic and Paso, um, I'm sitting here sipping. So I want everybody to um, know about. And you're at work, so I'm, yeah, you're you're working. So I'm guessing you don't have a glass to. to I did. I should have got one, but yeah, I did have some. <laughs> 
quite a bit of wine tasting earlier because we're wrapping wines today. Oh, okay. Busy day. So thank you again for taking time out of that then. Of course. <laughs> um, so we have the 2017 Estate Blend and um, you you call it like a snapshot of the vineyard. So can you explain what, what you mean by that and and why it's so important? For sure. So that is our estate blend, which is our main biggest red that we produce. Um, it is a Syrah dominant, but then basically has all the other varieties, the red varieties that we have planted on the properties. Uh, we have three different vineyard properties um, in Paso Robles, well, including York, our York Mountain property. And when you plant a vineyard, you match the soil type, the aspect of the slope, um, and then the climate that you have to a variety and not only the variety, but the clone of that variety and then also the rootstock. Um, and then you also make a decision of your trellis. How am I going to trellis this? Am I going to make a VSP, which is what most people are used to seeing or do a head trained vine? Is it cane pruned? Is it spur pruned? All the kind of nerdy viticulture stuff, which we could go into, but it would take way more than an hour. <laughs> uh, but anyways, all these decisions go into planting a vineyard. Um, and so by the time you're done with the vineyard, you have this sort of patchwork um, map, if you will, or quilt of what, all the decisions that you've made. And this wine is the physical representation of the vineyard and those decisions in a certain vintage. So it's Syrah dominant because we have Syrah is the, the variety that we have planted the most of um, on our vineyards. And then um, Mauvet and Grenache are kind of neck and neck, depending on the year, one, they're, they're pretty similar acreage. So there might be more of one than the other. And then we um, always have Tempranillo, which uh, was kind of uh, an offshoot when uh, we first planted the vineyards. We knew that the Rhone variety grapes were going to probably do great, but we also uh, thought that this area was reminiscent of uh, Rioja or Ribera del Duero. And so we wanted to try our hand at Tempranillo as well. So we have some Tempranillo planted. We also do a single varietal of that. Um, and um, there's usually some Zinfandel, Petite Syrah, maybe, maybe some Carignan, Graciano. Um, I'm trying to think what else I might be missing. Um, but those are the main reds that we have planted and not every year, every variety is in there, but definitely four plus another one or two. So at least five or six varieties. Um, it really is like a snapshot of the vintage. So the 17 was a very lush, uh, rich, yes. um, warm vintage. Um, but it really captures Paso Robles and our properties with the limestone soils. And we have a lot of shale and, um, crazy diurnal temperature swings, hot days and cool nights. Um, it's all in that glass. So. It is. And it, to me, it it is very Syrah-esque to me. Um, the first, it, it's dark fruit. And then um, to me, I always get that like leathery, meaty. I love that. Yes. You know, that leathery meatiness of, of a Syrah. Um, and then I, there's a, um, a good... Uh, zing to it and I think that that like a, a little little power punch to it kind of on that mid palate um I don't know if you can explain like what what's in there that brings up I think that, that yeah I love that description I think it's probably the Grenache that really like heightens and brings I mean the wines have great acidity and Paso anyway yes. but it kind of brings the fruit to, so the Syrah is pretty brooding and um, from Paderewski, it's pretty like briny and meaty as Lori was mm -hmm. saying. 
So um, you can kind of like heighten the palette, brighten it up, add fresh red fruit character and zinginess with the Grenache mouthwateriness. Um, Mauved is kind of like this um, earthy, but in a totally different way than the Syrah, uh, velvety like glue that puts everything together. And the Tempranillo is definitely giving more backbone to that wine than just the Syrah. Um, it gives a lot of structure. It has a lot of drying tannins. So um, the mixture of all of those kind of play really well together and create a very specific wine. And then there's the flair that could be Zin that could add zinginess or some spice. Um, Graciano is this, it's got actually really great acidity and color if that's made it into that bottle. Um, and then uh, Carignan is very rony. It's like they're kind of rony character like Moved, but, um, you know, slightly right. different, different fruit. And now a word from our sponsor. Looking to be in the know about Dracaena wines? Want to be the first to know about our new releases and special offers? All you need to do is sign up for our newsletter. There is no commitment necessary, and I promise you we won't spam your mailbox with loads of messages. Need another reason to sign up? Quite possibly the best reason? You'll immediately get a discount code for 10% off your first purchase and be privy to newsletter-only discounts. Let Dracaena Wines turn your moments into great memories. Visit our website, www.dracaenawines.com, or use the link in show notes to sign up. It will take you less than a minute, but the rewards will last a lifetime. And that, to, to me, what makes a, uh, the difference between a good wine and a great wine is what carries it through the whole palate. So sometimes, sometimes you taste a wine and you're like, oh my God, this is so good. And then just like the mid palate and the end palate, just kind of like, oh, the finish just is like there, you know? And then you're like, oh, well, was that good? Because I don't remember what it tasted like because the palate went away so quickly, you know? And this, it starts off, I, you, you nailed it. Like how, how I feel like it, it is, it's brutish. Yeah. Like it's broody and it's bold and, you know, it, it's, you know, a, a male wine at the beginning and to, to 100%, I only just opened this like two thirty, and we started at three. So it's, it's, you know, got a little to go. Um, but that's not a bad thing. Like, I'm not saying that is a bad thing, but it's, it's a big wine. And then as, as you let it linger on your palate, that it's like, it's like, um, you know, this snake weaving through the palate and bringing everything together and it just connects everything. So on the mid palate, it softens just, it softens just a little and silkiness starts to come in. And then on the end, it finishes so silky and so delicate. It just changes, you know, throughout the whole palette. And then the finish is just there. And you're like, yeah, this is some amazing stuff that I just had. <laughs> I just had. Oh, wow. That's such an awesome description. Thank you so much. I should mention too, because like I was talking about all the decisions, right? All the decisions are in the bottle, every wine you drink, right? So there's the vineyard decisions, but then there's the harvest decisions and the winemaking decisions and 
we have a bunch of different vessels. Most of, we do a lot of concrete fermentation okay. at Epic. And so I have a room, all my fermenters, my big fermenters are usually concrete. Um, and we have smaller, like stainless steel, small portable tanks. And then we actually ferment in barrels. Too. So there's all of these things in the wine too, which add to the complexity. And it does take a while for all of that to meld together. And I build the wines to age. Um, so this wine, I think it's tasting great right now. And I mean, it's 17, so it's a few years old, but um it's definitely built to last, right? So like five yeah. years from now, it'll be a little bit more of a subtle experience, but it'll still be really fun. You'll still have that, um, all those different characters. Yeah, I envision in in a few years, the the front, the, you know, the, the brute of that Syrah that's there um, is going to lower down and tame itself a little bit down. Um, but yeah, I call that's, it like losing, losing all the baby fat, right? So yes. baby fat. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The structure of it a little bit more, but then the tannins also can soften. So, right. Um, but th- that's, that's what's, that's what I'm loving about this is because when you first put it, when you first taste it, the tannins are strong, but as it weaves through to the end, to that back palate, they, they somehow find their way to silkiness. So when you finally swallow the wine, it's not, you're not tasting that, that brute tannin anymore. It's, it's, you know, evolved into this beautiful thing that just lingers on your tongue. Oh, awesome. So. Love it. <laughs> so I love, I love it. I absolutely love it. <laughs> it's funny because even though every year is different and it has um, different percentages of the varieties, it's not just like one block, you know, of Pinot or Syrah or whatever. Um, it's very consistent year to year too. There's a tie that binds all of those wines together year after year. So, so how many wines does Epic make? So we make, oh my gosh, I should add up. I think we make probably, I used to say 11, but now our York Mountain property has come into production and we're bottling separate varietal wines from York, three of them, Syrah, Grenache, and Viognier. So I think we probably make 14 on a normal year. They just sort of like are chunked off at different times. So it doesn't seem like that many and they're sold in different ways. And so um, it won't ever seem like that much to anyone. (laughs) And what is the production of Epic? Um, we're at about 7,000 to 7,500 cases, depending on the year. So um, we sell fruit actually to some very lucky winemakers, I think personally, because um, we grow using all biodynamic practices and um, just doing, making, growing the grapes as if we were going to make wine out of all of them um, and sell uh, to some people who have been here designate too. So it's kind of fun to get um, like an exchange between the winemakers um, and us to just, you know, spread, share ideas and see what's best and see what people are doing. So fun to not make grow grapes in a vacuum. It's just like, you don't want to make wine in a vacuum. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, so bringing up biodynamic, it's such a uh, hot topic now. And um, I, I have people who I have turned um, to believe in it. So um, they, I have an, I have an app that's called when wine. Are you familiar with this app? Is that the one that tells you uh, 
how the okay. day is, the biodynamic day. Yes, yes. Right here, I have the biodynamic calendar. Oh, okay, so, so right? Yeah. I can look. Yes. We, can, we can look together and see. You look at yours. I'll look we at can, I'll look at my app and see uh, what what it is today. Oh, today. Wow. You tell uh, me because I see it's a good day. Oh, it is a good day today. <laughs> <laughs> I see that it's a fruit day. Yeah. Okay, so I have a all day. I have a big red fruit day all day long, and let for those that that don't know, it's very rare that it the entire day (laughs) is is a yes, yes. So a a full fruit day, and maybe that is why I can get so much out of out of the wine today. That was a great day, and I know I tried some wines to get this morning, and they were tasting fabulous. And I'm like, well, that explains everything's just very open right yeah so like we look to do things like racking pulling wine out of bottle well you kind of want to be on the ascending moon which i'm not i can't read this as well (laughs) (laughs) but Um, um, i don't i have the free version i have the free version we do have a biodynamic consultant named philippe armanier and he's one of the man so if we ever have questions about because there are certain days that are better to pick on and better to so bottle on. And we do try to bottle on the better days because those are days we can definitely choose, you know. Um, but the, um, you know, harvest days, I try not. <laughs> I try to look at it. But when things get busy, I stop looking at the calendar because I don't want to feel bad about a decision I made to like because I needed to get the fruit off because of the climate, you know, something was happening. Right. Right. I mean, when it comes to harvest, there's so much stuff that's going on, you know, yeah. is a storm coming in? What's the, te- you know, is the temperatures changing? Did we just go through a peak, you know, a, a spike, um, you know, really is the rain coming, you know, although that's a whole other story. I, and I can geek out about that, but we'll go another route with that. But if I will, I will definitely try not to pick on the blackout day, the days where you're not supposed to do anything. So okay. if, I, if I can avoid it, I will. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we try to follow uh, as much as we can. I mean, we're not certified. So okay. if we have to do anything um, to intervene in any way, we can. But we, for the most part, we do everything every year um, by on following the biodynamic. Um, okay. So how, how biodynamic are you? Because I have read that some people you know, you can only, you know, punch down in this right. direction or at this speed or whatever. Are, are you that biodynamic? Uh, we're or? not that biodynamic in the winery. Okay. But in the vineyard, we follow everything. So when you're doing your biodynamic um, preparations, there's a certain way you have to stir it. We actually have the special stirring machine to get the silica ready for the spray. So we do do all those things correct in the vineyard. Um, and in the winery, like I said, we'll avoid the blackout days for picking and then we'll try to bottle on the best days. But beyond that, we're not, you know, same thing with racking. We're going to not rack on a bad day, but we're not just following it so dogmatically, like where we're not going to pump over for 24 hours. We definitely do continue to touch the wine uh, during its fermentation. It is such an intriguing concept to me because you, as in everything in our world, you can go way extreme or, or, you know, okay. But I have, I have convinced several people that the the taste of the wine days to taste or days to blend or things like that it makes a big difference they do they do and i have to say that like 
the reason why I say all this is because we started doing it for the vineyard health. And so that is where we're most focused on the biodynamics because when I came, our Paderewski vineyard uh, was producing, but we had planted the catapult vineyard before I arrived in 2008 and it was struggling um, with uh, conventional farming. And we were looking for some other answer. And the answer was like, well, I was new here. I, could have tried to come up with my own paradigm of what I thought would be right, but I didn't have the experience here yet. And I knew that conventional farming wasn't working, but I also knew the issues. Like I had been told the issues, like this is the problem with passerobles, the pH of the soil is high and waters, there's not a lot of water, what water we have has high pH and isn't very, um, it's really hard to use has, you know, lots of issues. And um, so we just sort of started with it because it gave us um, a framework with it within which to work and to uh, focus on the soil health to then invigorate the vines. And that's really what it has done. Um, so I believe in that part a hundred percent. And I honor anyone who wants to take it to the winemaking. Cause I know that there are days that the wines taste better and mm-hmm. that wounds pull does make a difference. Um, you know, and the less you can touch your wine, the better. And right. So I try to think of all of those things in the winemaking context as well. Yeah. Um, we, so, you know, at, at Dracina, we were, I think it was two years ago, we were doing our blending and just nothing, nothing was like, this is it. You know, nothing was popping out as this is, you know, what we want. We didn't, this barrel tastes okay. This barrel tastes okay. We're going to not taste out. And for the heck of it, and this is when my husband converted. For the heck of it, I just kind of looked at the phone. I'm like, it's an all day now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Wines. Yeah. It's like you ate you ate yogurt for breakfast. And then <laughs> yeah. And so I was like, you know, let's just stop and come back to it. And we waited till it was, you know, a yes time and we tasted it. And we made a blend. It got a 92. So the blend was good, you know. So, but, and that, I think it was this point, the score that, really finally come he said yeah 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 until we got the score but yeah you know no, yeah no definitely the, it was the wrong day in the biodynamic calendar actually. yeah yeah so I I you know I don't live by it but um you know I'll drink wine any day of the week but um sometimes you know you know you have a good bottle and it just doesn't taste wine and it just doesn't taste like you know it should taste and I'll look at it and I'll go, oh, you know, it's a, it's a no day. So yeah. I'm so just going to enjoy this wine anyway, but I'm missing out on as, as good as it could be. Right. <laughs> I do know that on, in France, there's some wineries that only bottle on the good biodynamic days. So you have to like, they all actually have their own bottling line for that reason. Right. Beyond like the fruit day or some people, you know, they want to push wine into bottle on a descending day right. and pull wine out of barrel, like when the moon is descending. Right. Right. And there's like so many of those days. So mobile bottling isn't as big of a thing there because they might want to, you know, bottle all at the same time. Um, and then also taste with sort of like critics, you know, they'll say they all like, no, you can't taste on this no, 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 tomorrow. <laughs> I want to get to that point. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, not, my wines are not available for you. On that you will have to come back. You will yeah. have to come back. Um, no, he was just, he was just in Paso. Right. He oh, was right. just in. Oh. Yeah. He was in for um, the, what, what did we just have? The Rhone. Oh, um, the Hospice de Rhone. Hospice oh, de yeah. Rhone was just. Dunnick was here. He, which is awesome. He does a tasting every year and he came to moderate one of the panels, which is uh-huh. so great. But yeah, so like 
there's usually, you know, you submit your wine and then he tastes it at some event. And yeah, you wish you could be like, okay, as all at Paso get together, let's like not let him taste on the right. <laughs> but that, that in its own right, that both of them were in Paso shows how much Paso is like on people's radar now, because, you know, it, they wouldn't have come 10 years ago or whatever, right. you right. know, totally, so, totally. It just yeah, shows no, how incredible it, Paso is. It's grown up so much in the last yeah. 15 years. Yeah. So getting back to Epic, because I am a huge, huge supernatural fan. I, I am a believer of all of the stuff and everything. And there is, there is supernatural going on. At Epic, so can you please share what's going on? Or there was, you got there was. So you know, it's an old historic property with historic homes on it. And when you drive up to Epic, uh, when you come into where the tasting room is across the street, there is an old white farmhouse. And when we came, the farmhouse didn't have a problem with the earthquake, but it definitely needed a little bit of TLC. And I think there was somebody who worked for us whose hairdresser was also a ghost whisperer, ghost translator, something like that. Um, So she asked to come and walk the grounds and see if she heard anything. So we did. We we brought her into the farmhouse and um, we actually heard a lot on her ghost transmitter, um, basically that we have a ghost or had one because we actually haven't brought her back since we, we actually really did a beautiful renovation. <laughs> we think he's happy now though. <laughs> he might've moved on, but we definitely <laughs> heard from someone. It was a male. Um, we were walking through and the most uh, energy, I guess, come from this one room upstairs. Um, and then there was just this other random fact that when people would tour the house, we did several tours for people over time. Again, this was before we renovated it. So no one be scared if, yeah. Um, I would be all in. I, that that, is, in. that is a highlight. That is a highlight to me like that. And I'll, I'll share a story after you finish yours. Oh, yeah. So, um, but anyone who would take a picture in this one room would have orbs in the picture always. So... Uh, and that's where we heard, uh, his name was Jim, Jim speak to us through the, um, the ghost translator. And, and one thing I have to say, which I was still just like, ah, maybe the ghost translate, I don't know. It's like a little device you walk around with. Um, I had my phone and I just, you know, this was, it was like 2011. So I don't know. I still had a phone that recorded and I was like videoing the whole thing. And the ghost translator said video <laughs> in the middle of me doing it. So I turned it off because I thought I was being rude. I have that on video. So I, yeah, it's pretty crazy. So yeah, apparently the rocks around here uh, transmit a lot of that sort of thing. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. Do you have a Paso Robles ghost? I don't. Well, it's not a Paso Robles uh, ghost thing, although Paso Robles has quite a bit of the, the ghost history or whatever. And I, I'm always so amazed. Paso has so much history, right? Jesse James, you know, and all, you know, everything that goes on. Yeah, but, all the all the Western people, and yeah, you know. Um, but the uh, before we were like officially Paso, you know, we um, we were just visiting, and we were going up and down the coast. So we were going from Paso down to Santa Barbara and doing that, and we stayed at the Santa Maria Inn. 
Oh. Okay. And I purposely chose that because it's supposed to be a haunted hotel. And my husband, you know, bless him, whatever. He puts up with so much of my um, my quirkiness things, but I like, it intrigues me. This is, you know, I, I I don't have any stories of where I, you know, met a ghost or anything like that. I don't have anything like that. Um, but I, I just think it's so cool. And who's to say that's, that's my opinion. Who's to say, uh, you know, we're just it, it's a, you know, um, so, so we, we stayed at the, the Santa Maria Inn cause it's supposed to be haunted. And I requested a very specific room because it's the room similar to, like you said, that the room always has the orbs. People, yeah. people say that they wake up that that the ghost that's in this room does something where they he he tickles your feet he always like pulls pulls your sheets wow. up or whatever so you tickle the tickle the feet or whatever so we go into the hotel and um th- we did get that room they did yeah, request that. i requested it um they probably they're like oh my god but i'm sure at this hotel many people are like you know requesting specific yeah. things um but we go in and this is where I embarrass my husband. Um, I'm like, I'm like, here, ghosty, ghosty, ghosty. <laughs> like I'm talking to my dog, you know, I'm like, here, ghosty, ghosty, please, please, please come visit us. Come visit us. And my husband's like, oh my you God. are so insane. And I'm like, please, 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 please. And so when we go and then there's another room that um, it's actually really sad. There's another room that uh, a sea captain uh, was murdered in and that's oh supposed to be haunted also but I went with the foot tickler versus <laughs> <laughs> versus the the angry murdered sea captain or whatever you know uh, so we go in and I'm walking through the rooms and I'm trying to video things to see orbs or and nothing's yeah. coming so we go in the room and I'm like, here we go. We go. And I'm like, you know what, Mike, I'm going to help the ghost out. We're going to sleep with our feet. We're going to sleep. I'm going to pull the sheets out of the bed. So our feet are there or whatever. And he's just like, yes, dear. Yeah. You know, whatever. <laughs> Is he's okay going to sleep with all that? Okay. <laughs> I, but I called the ghost. I did everything. And on my feet were not tickled. And I was so upset. I was so upset. <laughs> I think you don't notice it when you know it's coming or something. Yeah, I, maybe. Yeah, when you're maybe. expecting it. But, but I, I was so excited and not, nothing, nothing nothing happened. Nothing. So. Did you actually take pictures in there too? I did. I took pictures. There was there was there was nothing. There was nothing. But I th- I think when you're over anxious to meet them, I scared them away. That's what my that's what my husband says. You scared yeah. them away. You were a bit too he, eager. He wasn't scared to sleep in there. <laughs> but that that's like my one only you know ghost. Oh. Every so often, uh, you know, if I find something where I can say, "Oh, look, we can go there," he, he's pretty much like, "All right, whatever." But I don't have any experiences. I would have loved that experience. Well, yeah, and I guess at Chalk Hill there were some homes on the property too, and there was a ghost story from one of them too. So, or several. I think there was a couple homes that had ghosts. So, yeah. so you so know, did she sage everything? Is that what she did? She didn't. She just was like wanting to communicate, and we oh. didn't necessarily want him to go. But we also, you know, we think that he's we're all in a better place right now yes. <laughs> the well, house is in a better place and yeah it's all it's all repaired it's all beautiful now yes. he's all happy what's he to talk about right exactly. <laughs> I, mean, it um, might be, I think i'd be kind of scared to stay in there alone by myself at night but um 
you know, with my family, it's fine. I've been, I've stayed in that house before. So yeah. Hi. All right. Well, I'm going to have to come and visit because I would like yeah. to meet him. Yes. But, you know, <laughs> I absolutely yeah, like you have, you don't know. So we are almost at an hour, which, um, I, but I can't let you go without um, talking about dream big darling. Oh yeah. So if you can tell us what that is, how you participate and what people can know about it, that would be fantastic. Yeah. So Dream Big Darling is an organization that was started by a woman named Amanda uh, Higgins, who um, has worked at Ancient Peaks Winery. Her family is part owners in that. And now she has her own uh, winery branding and marketing consulting business. Um, and she is just such a, a forward thinker in the wine industry and a woman. And um, she, her grandma was a huge influence in her life. And so um, she always told her to dream big. And so when she started to have some success in the wine industry, she wanted to pay it forward and um, basically created this organization that helps promote women in the beverage industry. And she named it dream big darling. And so, uh, we have a big auction usually every year. Um, and then they have uh, a scholarship program where women can apply to it. And it's basically, I think it's almost a year round of activities, but mainly, um, a really big, um, uh, what do you call it? Like a, a seminar series um, that happens in Paso and the women sort of win the scholarship and can come and learn and um, interact with each other. And it's just like starts as like a network for the, for the beverage industry, whether you're a producer, if you're a stiller, a winemaker, a brewer, um, or you're in, you know, sales in the tasting room or distribution or marketing, um, um, or you do online stuff. It kind of cr creates this uh, place, meeting place for all these women. And I've met great people and I've also had awesome women reach out to me. Um, it's just really cool to see the connections over time. Like a Psalm in Tennessee might be part of this organization or, um, you know, someone who's studying winemaking at Davis, you know, it just is a really cool group of women that just growing, right? So um, it's, it's a great, a great event. I'm sure there will be more stuff with it too. Obviously during COVID, we had to go online with a bunch of things. And so it'll be back. Yeah. And is, is there a website or something for? Yeah, I think it's dreambigdarling.org. Um, and you can find out information about the organization, the retreat. That was the word I was looking for. So okay. the retreat for it. it's usually in September where all the women kind of come together. Um, and then there's the auction, which is usually in this late spring. Um so uh, she's also had a lot of support from Madeline Trafon, who was the first uh, master sommelier who's a woman. So she does a lot of events with uh, Dream Big as well. Okay. And before we go, I keep saying end before we go, but there's so much about you that, that like, it's so amazing. So I, we have to talk about your 2010 your blend being number 25 on the top 100 wine spectator. We got to make sure everybody knows about that. Yeah. So the state blend that Lori was tasting, the first vintage I came and it was actually the first, it was the second year we made it. Cause I made a blend of the 09 barrels cause I had bottled those. And then in 2010, sort of, you know, from vineyard to bottle, um, 
uh, the 2010, once it was released and in the market, uh, won the Wine Spectators, uh, it was on the top 100 list of in 2013, because it's usually like several, you know, the wine doesn't get released for two years. Okay. After you so it's 2013, um, number 25. Okay. So and, that. and it wasn't just a one hit wonder because you've made amazing wines throughout your time there at Epic. And in fact, last year, you were winemaker of the year at the wine industry awards. So congratulations. I have a huge belt buckle buckle that's on my (laughs) so the at the Whitmid State Fair um, in Paso, they crown the wine industry person of the year, winemaker of the year, and wine grower of the year um, of San Luis Obispo County. So I was lucky enough to receive that and got to have it in person, which was awesome. Um, But yeah, it's a committee like of peers that vote on um, everyone. So really, really awesome. Accolade. That is fantastic. And is Epic going to be at the Paso Wine Fest? Yeah, we are actually, we don't always pour at it, but we have decided that we're going to, um, do be, um, present and support that now that we're, everything's back up and running. We used to do sort of like the library pouring, but we're doing the, that's happening also. And I think we're involved in that, but we're in the main, the main buildings as well. So. Okay. And do you, are you allowed to say, apparently there's like themes going on that are like oh. top secret stuff. Do you, I don't know about that, but I will oh. because oh. Uh, Taylor who works with me in the winery um, is going to a meeting that they're having on Thursday. Oh. We will find out. <laughs> well, if anybody is interested in going to Paso Wine Fest on the 21st to first-handedly get to taste Epic Wines along with 500 other wines and 99 other wineries, um, they can use code ETWG, so exploring the wine glass underscore 22, and they'll get $20 off of their ticket. That is so, awesome. Yeah, so I will be there covering it and I will make sure I come over by Epic and see, are you going to be there or I, will somebody else? I might be there, but definitely I'm not slated to pour all day. So okay. Peter and Audrey will be there if you come and see us or come visit our tasting room, which yeah. uh, I'm around there a good chunk of the time. Okay, and so that's what I want to just wrap up with is where can people find Epic? And how do they reach out to you and order the incredible wine? Yes. So we are present online at epicwine.com. That's E-P-O-C-H wines.com. We also have our tasting room that's open seven days a week on York Mountain. Um, We take reservations. So definitely make a reservation if you want to come and do a tasting. We do a whole flight style. So you get every wine poured in a separate glass and you can compare and contrast. That is fantastic. So Jordan, thank you so much for spending your afternoon with me and for taking time from racking because I know how, how busy of a day that is. I appreciate it. And I hope I get to see you uh, in a couple of weeks at Paso Wine Fest. And I appreciate everything. And the wine is incredible people and this this is actually a rather they can find this rather easily correct yeah i mean we are distributed that is a wine and distribution so it's uh in some restaurants and some bottle shops so look out for the 
for the label. Right. And then just head to next time you're in Paso, head to Epic Winery so you can taste the wines that are not as distributed as that is. So grab a bottle of that and then get to the winery and taste all the other amazing wines that Jordan is making. Awesome. Thank you so much, Lori. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. This has been another episode of Exploring the Wine Glass. Thanks for listening. If you have suggestions on what topics you would like me to discuss, please reach out on social media. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as Exploring the Wine Glass. I am also on LinkedIn as Lori Hoytbud. Of course, you can always email me at exploringthewineglass at gmail.com. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to help others find me more easily. And most importantly, tell your wine-loving friends, because if you like the podcast, they will too. Music is Wine by Kevens. Until next week, slancha. Give me the red, red wine. Give me the white, white wine. Give me the sweet, sweet wine.